Hello, everyone. First off, thank you for tuning in to another week of behind the scenes consumer product marketing brought to you by Sharebird. Sharebird is a peer mentoring platform for product marketers. There are so many great resources on there. There's also a job board. And many of the guests that you hear on these podcasts also host AMAs. So definitely go check it out. If you're loving the podcast or have feedback, I would really love to connect. Feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn or drop us a note at podcasts.sharebird.com. In this week's episode, I sat down with Jamila Cahoon, Senior Director of Product Marketing at Audible, who gives us a behind the scenes look at the launch of Audible's newest membership tiers. Jamila will also share with us the key lessons she learned and her perspective on the value that membership subscriptions have on customers in really clarifying what the product is, its value, and major benefits. I've received a handful of messages on LinkedIn from you all mentioning that launching memberships was a big part of your role. So I'm really excited to be bringing this episode to you today. So enough from me, let's dive in and get a behind the scenes look. Hello everyone, it's your host, Meredith Davis, here for another week of behind the scenes consumer product marketing, brought to you by Sharebird. As marketers, we are innate storytellers, which is why I'm excited to be getting an insider look at the company that's really on the forefront of storytelling, Audible. Audible is the largest audiobook and podcast producer and retailer in the US that allows customers to purchase and stream audiobooks and other forms of content. Content can be purchased individually or under a subscription model. And that is what we're going to focus this episode on today. The strategy behind creating, launching, and validating tiered membership subscriptions. Have you ever stopped and asked yourself what the actual definition of a membership level is? It's kind of a weird thing to even think about, right? These days, it seems like just about everything from entertainment to groceries and yes, even alcohol comes in the form of a subscription or membership. Since we're so used to seeing and selecting memberships and subscription levels, it's easy to rely on our intuitive understanding and overlook their definition. But the reality is that membership subscription is a fantastic way to help customers understand what they will receive, how something will work when they're going to receive it, and what type of payment is required to give us a behind-the-scenes look at the best strategies to validate and launch membership tiers and pricing. I'm here with Audible's Senior Director of Product Marketing, Jamila Cahoon. Jamila joined Audible right around the time the company launched Audible's new membership tiering, Audible Plus and Audible Premium Plus, and was tasked with validating product market fit and driving all product adoption. Jamila is going to give us a behind-the-scenes look at the important considerations and key lessons learned when launching new membership tiers. Jamila, it is so great to have you on the show today. Thank you so much, Meredith, for having me. I'm absolutely thrilled to have the conversation and everything that I've learned so far listening to the behind the scenes podcast has been so insightful. So I am incredibly honored to join many of the other types of guests that you've had on the show so far. And before the show, you were talking about the fact that you are a big podcast enthusiast. So tell us what podcasts are your daily and weeklies? 
Oh my, the list would take way too long to go through on this podcast, but clearly the first one would have to be this podcast. I've really enjoyed. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. But I have really enjoyed the insights that I've gotten. So it's just kudos to you for putting together such uh, compelling content that's really powerful for professional development and helping people understand consumer product marketing. Okay. Now Um, real talk. Okay. Besides (laughs) that, I definitely start my day with the New York Times Daily. It's kind of a ritual that I put into place to have some kind of marker for the day, especially in work from home. It feels like it's hard to tell what time it is sometimes. And, you know, we need those rituals to feel like kind of a normal person commuting. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I, I needed that reminder. And the other ones that I love, of course, like NPR has several hidden brains is fantastic. It just always makes me think about how we think as human beings, how we behave as human beings, and how that helps us know about ourselves, but also get connected to others. And then I definitely, right now, I'm really enjoying Louder Than a Riot, which is an NPR podcast, looking at the history of hip-hop combined with criminal justice. And given everything that's been happening in our world over the last year, it's just such a powerful story that speaks to several areas that I'm just interested in, but I could go on and on literally. And, you know, well, you if know- you find me randomly at any given moment, there's probably something playing in the background. So. <laughs> well, you know, what's interesting is I even think maybe just a couple of years ago, there was this perception of audiobooks and podcasts that was so different to where it is today. It was maybe stigmatized or just not as, I think people like place judgment on listening as almost like a lazy form of reading a book, mm. but now it's totally changed, right? It's like right. the perception of this different format of storytelling and narration has Mm -hmm. completely changed. How have you seen that migration? I think each medium is actually having a different kind of path to becoming more mainstream. So podcasting, I think a lot of people really think to point to serial as one of the big That was mine. That was my gateway drug. Yeah, exactly. And when you think about what made that moment so powerful, it was this element of really taking that type of content into something communal. Like the thing that we love about certain television shows is the fact that, oh, your friend's also watching it or used to have watch parties, you know, for Project Runway. I remember that was like a huge watch party me and my friends used to have. Like I did as well. (laughs) And it's such a classic. And so, yeah, I feel like people want to have that communal experience that word of mouth that you're sharing in a story. And so I think once there was that tipping point that people saw, oh, this is something I don't have to talk about in secret or like only whisper to people who are in the know, but something I can feel proud to talk about really helped bring it into the mainstream. It's something that we continue to think about with Audible. I find that I'm in a lot of book clubs. So podcasts are a huge interest, but I also... dive into a lot of books. So at one point was in three different book clubs. Um, And so it honestly was way too much. And I was a couple of those. I was the person who had not finished the book a couple of times. Yes, I will admit. (laughs) There's always Um, one one of those. (laughs) 
Exactly. But it was one of those things where we would talk about the book and it only came out several weeks later at the end of the conversation that someone had actually listened to the book, not just read it, but the assumption is that people read it. And so we have to continue to raise the level of consciousness as well as comfort in speaking out loud about the fact that you are listening to the book, not just reading it. And so bringing it into something that people feel is mainstream is common to talk about versus something that's like a behind the scenes element. Yeah. I feel like audiobooks were almost like a hush hush. No one wanted to be open and honest. They didn't read it, but you're still experiencing the story. And I actually think that Audible's VP and head of US content put it really nicely that when you find a piece of work where you have a creator who's really thought about the format and really thought about writing for audio, and when you start to see the interplay of how characters develop and soundscape all comes together, it's really quite amazing, whether it's through a podcast or an audiobook. Yes, exactly. Because you have to focus on the words and your word choice to really deliver the picture that you're trying to create in people's minds. And so it is really an incredible different kind of craft in bringing together a story for audio and playing with sound and words to really deliver that emotional impact. So I I think it's such an exciting space. And you're now a product marketer who, you know, our skill set is storytelling and you're storytelling about storytelling. (laughs) How do you (laughs) think about that? The reason why I was so excited to join Audible is because of that opportunity to really start to elevate and make more forward in people's minds the role that storytelling plays in people's lives. Storytelling is the primary way that we are communicated about our values, that our parents really give us that sense of wonder and learning. And so it's something that we almost take for granted as a society but it's so central. And so when I started to think about how would we tell the story of Audible and ensure that that's infused into our subscription offerings and our brand, I really honed in on what is that emotional value that storytelling really plays in people's lives? What are the occasions where listening to this type of content is really engaging, motivating, and something that people crave? And also just really understanding how we need to be be clear about our word choice in ensuring that we are communicating that stories is the universal thread, but the formats really differ. I think it's great that we have now multiple formats that people can engage with incredible stories and content, whether you want it in small bites, a podcast, or a longer arc through an audiobook. Wow. And you're just ramping up to Audible with only, I think, six or seven months under your belt at this point. And even before Audible and before product marketing, you were actually in the consulting space, which is interesting because this isn't the first time that I've heard about the jump from consulting to product marketing. What experience do you feel like consulting previously has helped you do as a product marketer and in this role specifically? 
Yes, I think it's such an incredible skill set and way of thinking to really bring to product marketing because the training that I received through my consulting work was how to break down a problem and how to think about multiple hypotheses and go about it in a very systematic way. And I think that is the core of what I do day to day now in this role and in product marketing more broadly is I'm really trying to solve or answer questions for the business that helps us understand how we solve problems for our customers and how we communicate that value to customers. So it really is this constant iteration of question, hypothesis, test, and continuous improvement that is the full chain of what I do today. I think the other element besides problem-solving approach is really around being grounded in data and being really comfortable leveraging data to cover emerging insights and to really start to think about not just what it tells us today, but also what questions the data raises for the future. Because a set of data is just a point in time. And it's really important not just to think about the analytics giving you answers, but also using analytics to raise the right questions. Yeah, data is not static. I love that. And let's actually dive into that a bit more. So diving into the launch of Audible's new membership pricing, because I think that this is such a good example of kind of like that consultant framework that you shared. But to quickly orient ourselves before going into the new membership pricing, prior to this launch, Audible offered two monthly subscription tiers, the Audible Gold and the Audible Platinum, which were priced at around $14 and $22. Both services allowed customers to obtain credits, which could be used to purchase audiobooks. And just this past August 2020, Audible replaced both of those plans with Audible Premium Plus, which was the renaming of gold and introduced a new $7.95 subscription tier known as Audible Plus. And both of those tiers included access to curated on-demand library of audiobooks and podcasts and original productions. So kind of like walk me through, first of all, did I get that right? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And and definitely it's been a journey as I come from also American Express and the credit card space where figuring out multiple different membership tiers and how they interact is also something I spent a lot of time on there. So I completely understand the challenges. (laughs) of trying to parse out like which ones still exist, which ones have been deprecated and which ones have just been renamed and given a new label. And so at Audible here, you're right. Today we have two subscription tiers, Premium Plus, which is our previously named gold tier at $14.95, which offers unlimited access to a curated portfolio of audiobook podcasts and originals, plus one credit a month that gives you the ability to purchase a premium title. And $7.95 is our newest tier, Audible Plus, which offers that same unlimited access to the core portfolio of audiobook and podcast content that people get to enjoy as much as they want. And the reason why it was such a big kind of transformation for Audible is that traditionally we have been really tied to more of a consistent but 
retail model. And so it meant that we were really tied with our ensuring that people were using credits to purchase titles, which ultimately is more of a retail dynamic. And so I think with adding incredible value into the gold tier by giving unlimited access to this curated portfolio, it really helps to bolster that consistent engagement with our content, our service, as well as now offering an entry point for other customers to come and see what Audible is all about at a price point that's really more approachable and exciting for a different set of customers. Yeah, it seems like that having that lower price point might eliminate a barrier for some of those prospective customers. I'm interested, you know, I'm sure there was a lot of market and competitive research that initiated some of these changes in the membership tiering and pricing. Tell me about how you set up this research and what learnings came out of it. Yeah. So of course, some of the research was done prior to my tenure at Audible, but I think that there's consistent work around how do we respond to changes in the occasions that customers really are looking for audio content. Traditionally, it's very much tied with commute occasions where people are looking to multitask and to potentially escape as they're sitting on the subway and they're hanging on for dear life as the <laughs> subway jerks around or whatnot. And so the kind of core insights is, of course, as we were entering, one, wanting to expand our customer base, and two, of course, COVID has really, really changed the dynamic of the market around commuting. There was a desire and an insight around how do we expand the occasions where we have relevance to customers and fit into their lives in a seamless way. That's really something that they will start to crave engaging with our content in more occasions and more places. So that was really the core of what we wanted to achieve. And ultimately, the idea was how do we remove some friction and lower the barriers, as you mentioned earlier, so that we can acquire a new customer base, but also ensure that even when it's not an occasion where you might be ready to dive into something really uh, a long arc story, maybe you just need a quick boost of inspiration from like a career influencer or something like that, where it's more short form content. We wanted to be able to fit into people's lives naturally in that way as well, by having different formats that could really speak to the needs there. So those were kind of the insights that came out of a large study and a survey that was done of customers in the kind of early part of last year. And why do you think that tiered membership programs are attractive for customers? I think it's all about customer choice. And so one of the key elements that's important for businesses who are going into multiple tiered products to kind of put a stake in is, are you here to facilitate consumer choice or are you really wanting to go into a targeted strategy? And usually it's a mix of both, but sometimes it's like, nope, I want to target this particular product to a particular customer and really surface that. And then in small print underneath, I will let them know there's some other options for them, right? 
<laughs> and lightly then, suggest. Exactly, exactly. Or on the other side, of course, there's the element of, look, we just want to show that in general, our service has something for everyone. And so we want to show that menu to the customer and let them make the choice. But I think in either case, this provides the maximum flexibility for both the customer and the business to pursue that very efficient, targeted marketing acquisition strategy, but also at the same time, create a wider funnel that enables multiple customers to come in, see the menu and really make a selection that's right for them. So it's definitely an attractive way of setting up your business that really helps you to continue to expand your incursion into the addressable market and capture as much as possible. And what I find most interesting about membership tiers is that if the pricing or the offering is off, it's really easy to tell. What types of feedback were you starting to see from customers? Yeah, I think that one of the key things that went into prior to launch was really understanding what is the core differentiation between the member benefits of each of the tiers that would justify someone's willingness to pay even the base price, but also their willingness to pay the incremental price. Because once you create tiers, you actually make it easier for the customer to disaggregate the pieces of value of your program. So now now we have a 795 product with the unlimited curated catalog and then for $7 more you get the credit so now it's very clear that $7 is the equivalent price of the credit in that particular program and so you have to think about now that people are able to essentially do the math what is that $7 really translating into? In our case, you know, the credit is the biggest example, but there are other benefits that we also layered into the Premium Plus offering, you know, sales benefits and, and others that we really looped into that in order to continue to justify the incremental price. But at the same time, you don't want to keep the lower price product completely out of the loop and, and not get it any benefits because it's ultimately usually one of the core entry points into your product. And so if that product in and of itself is not set up for success, then it can ultimately create a situation where people are brought into the franchise and don't get that good initial impression. And so that's what we were optimizing for when thinking about having a multi-tiered service. And definitely, I mean, the feedback in terms of one, the incremental value given to premium plus customers show that customers were thrilled about now having even more options to listen to and engage with. So you may not have a new credit because you finished that book within one day, right? Ideally, I don't know <laughs> if somebody's able to do that, um, <laughs> but- Overachiever. You know, exactly, <laughs> yeah, right. right? Keep buying credits, everyone. Right. And so with that, now they're like, okay, now I have something else to listen to. And I have this catalog to continue to discover new content that in the past I would have had to wait till I have a new credit or to purchase more credits. And in terms of our plus product, this is really a way for people to try Audible for the, the first time. But also we've had a lot of opportunity where customers are coming back to Audible. And so maybe at some point in time, they were like, oh, I'm 
not sure if this really fits for me. Maybe I don't listen to that many, you know, premium titles. All I want is some interesting content, some short form content. They're giving Audible another try because this is, again, a much more approachable price point and it fits their needs a lot more because they're interested in that shorter form content. So this was great to see that on both ends, we're able to deliver some value to customers. And kind of talk and kind of connecting the value to how you're promoting and describing these new experiences and offerings. I think we almost saw a really good example of how confusing things can be for customers. I was trying to explain it on this podcast. I was like, wait, am I getting this right? All these new terms and pricings. And so I think the thing to that's really important for product marketers here is that what you choose to name membership levels, especially when changing membership levels is incredibly important, but it can also be really tricky. How do you start to think about Audible Plus and Audible Premium Plus and really plainly, but very succinctly highlighting the benefits and value props within the tiers? In terms of naming the products, there was definitely a lot of research and consideration given to how the name will actually communicate one, the product features and model, as well as how the two products relate to each other. So in terms of the model right now, we know that plus indicates a unlimited product. And so we definitely wanted to lean into that because Audible has traditionally had a product that you had to have certain credits in order to access content. And so now we have unlimited streaming benefits and we wanted to leverage that name to really continue to give customers an easy way to understand the new uh, offering that we have. Secondarily, of course, the naming of the two products, we wanted to ensure that it was clear that these are different ways to access Audible and that they build upon each other. So plus is that unlimited catalog of our audiobooks and podcasts, but when you get to Premium Plus, you get that same access again with an incremental benefit that's one premium title per month. And so that way, the names continue to help us tell the story of how these two products work together and hopefully help customers make the selection of what's right for them. And was this a naming nightmare for the team? There were multiple iterations and definitely I've seen. (laughs) What was the worst name that was on the jamming sheet? You know, I feel like they were just explore and access because of course we wanted to indicate that access is a core part of what's new here. So it totally makes sense, but you know, definitely explore and other things make you think of like. (laughs) Right. And of course there are no bad ideas in a jamming session, but sometimes they're just not great. Right, exactly. So, you know, we're not sending people on some kind of tropical voyage. We are actually delivering audio content. So ultimately, we we decided to go with Plus and Premium Plus. I think what's great about Plus and Premium Plus is it really does represent and reinforce the benefits of each of those tiers. And really, it helps to communicate the outcome of what they're about to be subscribing for, which is ultimately what you were trying to achieve. So I think that was a smart naming jam. (laughs) Yes, definitely. 
So back in November, when Audible launched its unlimited subscription tier, Audible Plus, it launched in preview first to existing Audible members before prospective customers were able to sign up. Can you share a bit about the strategy behind this launch plan? Yeah, so I think the preview was really to ensure that we helped our existing customers where we have a base of incredibly loyal customers who have been with the franchise for many years. We wanted to ensure that they were able to understand how this was an evolution of our value prop to them before necessarily going out and starting to tell the story more broadly to prospects and as well as formers that we wanted to win back. But that was kind of the first port of call. Base understood that this was additive to their experience and that we could get some feedback from them in terms of how we communicate this benefit and the tiers and how they're different before we even went out to cut to net new customers. It helped inform ultimately in some ways how we messaged and ensured comprehension amongst customers. So that was the priority. And do you feel that in launching membership tiers, it's smart in general to do this like slow rollout process for customers? Yeah, I mean, it really depends again on the stage of your business and what your goals are. I do think that ultimately when you are creating something new, it does create an exciting brand moment. And so there is a point in time where it makes sense to, of course, go and tell the story a lot more broadly about the tier being available and use it as an opportunity to really win back equity into your core brand. And so that's something that we're looking at towards the rest of this year. But I think to come out of the gate, you definitely, depending on the size of your customer base, want to make sure that you kind of protect and take care of that pool of value and your loyal customers, ensuring that one, they're not feeling like they got sold a bill of goods or that ultimately they don't want to stay with the service anymore. It can create moments of swelling cancellation or downgrades and things like that. And so understanding those dynamics and giving time for that to come to fruition can be incredibly helpful and ultimately helps you be a lot more targeted and a bit smarter when you want to tell that story more broadly to customers later on. And how did you make sure that customers who were on this old tiering and pricing were not upset by the news? Was there any thought around grandfathering them in or giving them three months heads up before the change was going to happen? Were those decisions that were thought through in the go-to-market? I mean, definitely there were things that were thought through. There ultimately our priority was to ensure that they saw this as an incremental benefit to them. And so it was more around the story of we're excited to bring you this new way to engage with content. We're giving you more content than you had before. And so that was the way that we saw as the right way to kind of start to tell the story with them. Of course, timing just factored into this as well. As I mentioned, this was really a core way of us looking to respond to some of the emerging market dynamics. And so there was really a need for us to have a response and a way to get into market quickly. And so I think we definitely took as much care as possible to ensure that our existing customers were made aware as soon as possible. And we had that preview period, as you mentioned, but ultimately we had to get out of the gate and really just see how the market was 
was going to respond because that's when you really learn and the rubber hits the road. And what channels did you find were most successful in this approach? Yeah. So I think in general, the product had that goal of increasing our capture of the addressable market. And so for us, we also had to think through channel strategy in order to match that. We can't just go to the same channels necessarily in order to really start to see that incremental audience and a new type of customer profile be attracted to our platform and our experience. And so ultimately we went into a bit more paid channels and other areas where we could really start to control whose eyeballs we got in front of. And that way we could start to really prove out the hypothesis that this is something that's going to be attractive to a different type of customer than we've traditionally attracted to the franchise. And so those were super important to our strategies. And we continue to invest into social and we have another channel live where we're able to really highlight incredible content creators and tell the story of what type of amazing content is actually on our service. And so we're really leveraging as many different touch points to not only say, hey, there's a new tier, but also just broadly to introduce Audible as a brand and a service to a new set of customers. I think Audible has incredible brand awareness, which is powerful, but that also means that people come in with their own brand associations and expectations. And so we've got to really be proactive in setting and telling our story with a new set of customers who may have varying levels of awareness, but also how much knowledge they actually have about what we deliver and, and right. what we have in the service. And so now that the initial launch happened, you're kind of still in this reach and engagement moment. Are you able to now work on experimenting with ways that you connect with new customers and share that story? Yes, absolutely. So that's definitely a huge area when I came in, kind of brought this product into market, but then very quickly pivoted into shaping our learning agenda, which is definitely around, again, how do we learn how to find, target, and convert a new segment? And so what we have been testing into is we do definitely have really strong performance marketing channels, but we also wanted to start to humanize our message and ensure that, especially for someone, like I said, who has very little awareness of what Audible actually is, that we could show them who we are in a way that's relevant to who they are. So one of the areas that we started testing into is with the personas that we develop to kind of say, this is the customer that we think is going to be really excited by the plus tier in particular, how do we start to create our messaging and our creative to really speak directly to them. And one of the elements that's really exciting about working now in the media space for, for myself is our content is not just the technology solution and listening experience, but it's also our content. And so not only were we looking at how do we tell the story of, hey, here's our app and here's our pricing, 
we have to tell the story of here's what our content looks like. Here's what's going to excite you every day. And so with the personas, we could really dive into, okay, they are going to listen to this type of content. How do we highlight that in our different advertising and acquisition efforts? So that was one of the kind of key campaigns and tests that we continue to dive into. And of course, the other area that we are continuing to learn is, again, what are the right signals to really help us hone in on targeting a new customer that we might not have had in the past. So that's a lot of, of course, looking at being a part of an Amazon company, we have definitely looked at other data that we can leverage as far as the broader Amazon interactions that customer have that might signal to us, oh, this is the type of customer that's really going to be attracted to plus or that we haven't traditionally had in our base. And so there's definitely a lot of learnings that we're continuing to do on targeting. I think persona work is such a huge part of product marketing and it can feel like a black box to some. What are some of your top few tips on when you think through persona work or how to get started with it? Yeah, I definitely think that personas are incredibly powerful. The way I generally come at them is actually really starting, however, with my segmentations, because segmentations let you know at the broadest level who is really going to be a priority in terms of their characteristics, potentially whether it's income, whether it's their propensity towards nonfiction versus fiction. So at the most macro level, these are kind of the signals that help you understand like this is going to be a priority target. This is a group that's harder to convert, et cetera. And so I really start there because it helps you understand what dimensions of the person and persona that you're ultimately trying to create are going to be important to flesh out and emphasize and bring out in your research. So then having that grounded, we then tend to go into more research. So going across a broad swath of those different priority segments and starting to try and look for trends and themes in the ways that people's lives are oriented, their motivators, and their kind of behaviors and attitudes that can help you figure out like, oh, you know, this is Sarah. I feel like I know a Sarah, you know, somebody who's super into podcasts and listens to the daily when she brushes her teeth. And she's uh, probably like running around Brooklyn and enjoying. Are you describing <laughs> yourself here? I mean, pretty much, pretty yeah. much. Uh, there, there is actually a persona that we developed that I was like, oh, I think this is me. <laughs> I identify with her. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so that's how you really, in some ways, know that you've honed in on really robust persona is that you can kind of say like, oh, this reminds me of my neighbor or this reminds me of myself because you're starting to capture the totality of a person and, and what motivates them and, and what excites them and, and how they engage with the world. So it's super interesting and fun work. It's definitely one of those moments where you see the art come into product marketing. We do a lot that's data-driven and very science-oriented, but this is definitely one of those moments where the art comes in and- Helps humanize um, the learnings. Exactly. And humanize the messaging because ultimately for us in the content space, it is an area where what I like in a podcast may not be the same as what you would like. And so you really have to hone in on each person's individual preferences and choice in a major way. 
And since you have come onto Audible, you're owning kind of like the learning plan. What has been the most interesting learning so far in launching these membership tiers or just your work there in general? What are you most excited for? Yeah, I really think that there's just so much incredible data and insight. The teams are so fantastic and really want to know the customer deeply. I think the things that really excite me is just truly around how do we think about customers' engagement with the media space more broadly and how that's shifting in the environment that we've been in in COVID. So really honing in on, you know, we know that people love our content because you're able to multitask while you read a book or listen to a podcast. But we're also finding that coming out of COVID, people are also looking for those opportunities to really focus and be intensive and so the more that we continue to show our content in a way that's not just about, oh, let me do this while I'm cooking something or cleaning the house, but also show it as a way for people to really disconnect in a way and immerse mm-hmm. themselves into a different world because people are definitely a little bit burnt out. Exactly. We all want to escape. And so I think that's going to be a really, a really just interesting way to see how brands continue to communicate value going forward and how we really help people feel like this is me time. This is a way to really feed yourself and instead of constantly being on the go. I love that. No, I'm super excited. And I have two quick rapid fire questions for you. Yes. Uh, All right. So here we go. What is one thing you wish you knew when starting your career in product marketing? Oh, wow. This is going to sound really funny, but honestly, it's that I wish that I knew that product marketing existed. And what I mean by that is there are a lot of teams and roles in certain companies. When I was at American Express, they were kind of like, hey, we need somebody strategic who's able to really help us partner with the product team and translate that into our sales strategy for a field team that we had. And I honestly was just kind of like, like, okay, I'm strategic. Let me like figure out what this product is. Let me figure out some marketing. And at the time there really wasn't that core understanding of this function as a key discipline. And so it's something that I'm always kind of helping to spread the word amongst people who are starting their career, because the more that you kind of understand that there's a codified process for some of these things, people have done this before, the less you feel like you're on the vanguard, like making it happen for the first time, that there are others and other organizations that have done this before. And fortunately, product marketing is an area that's growing for a lot of teams and organizations, but it does sometimes feel that no matter what, oftentimes you're going into an organization where you're kind of helping to build it and helping to make the processes for it. So you, you constantly feel like you might be starting from scratch. But yes, several years ago, I wish I had just simply (laughs) And you wouldn't have had to spend all those years in consulting. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) All right. And in the realm of product marketing, what are you most curious about right now? 
I think I'm definitely just most curious about how product marketing continues to grow to not just, you know, relate to product and marketing teams, but also how we build those bridges with all multiple different functions um, across the organization. So as I mentioned, for my team, definitely content's a major area that we have to build that bridge with as well, but also business development and also corporate strategy as well. And so I think that there's just continues to be a growing need for that type of synthesis of ideation to execution and customer facing communications. And so I think I'm just curious to continue to see how the definition of the space continues to grow as more and more stakeholders get folded in to the discipline. No, I love that. That's awesome. And just a testament to the future of product marketing, because I think it really is. It's not just a relationship with product. It's policy and comms and marcoms and all the different functions. So right. uh, Jamila, this has been amazing. I can't thank you yes. enough for being on this podcast. I'm sure that people are going to want to connect with you after this. And I also know that your team is going to be hiring. So if people are interested or want to connect with you, where can they do so? Definitely. One, thank you so much for having me. This was such a fun conversation. I'm absolutely thrilled for the opportunity. And I'm thrilled that I could hopefully connect with some great product marketers and of course, bring some stellar talent onto my team at Audible. So if anyone's interested in connecting or interested in applying to Audible and our product marketing team, feel free to find me on LinkedIn. I think I'm the only only Jamila Calhoun on <laughs> LinkedIn. And so <laughs> hopefully it won't be too difficult for people to connect and find me. Awesome. Well, thank you again. And thank you all for tuning in and listening to another episode of Behind the Scenes Consumer Product Marketing. And we will see you next week.